Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Our scripture reading for the day comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 and 12 to 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will work portents in the heaven above the signs, and on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist." The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. I don't know about you, but I have found it quite difficult to get myself into the Pentecost spirit on this dreary, cold, rainy May Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is a little bit like Memorial Day weekend in that it is a celebration of a new season. Memorial Day marks the arrival of summer and Pentecost marks the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church as we've heard already today. Two celebrations, these two sometimes match up with one another for one unforgettable weekend. But this year, both seem to be a little bit lacking. Due to the cold and rainy weather, parents looking for a place where kids can go and get out some energy this year have turned from the traditional spot on the beach to a much less aesthetically pleasing trampoline park. And rather than reports of record-breaking church attendance for the annual birthday celebration, we find ourselves greeted with extra space on the pews, with statistics about church decline, with news of churches closing their doors in droves, and an increasing mistrust of institutionalized religion. Happy birthday, church. (laughs) Enjoy it while it lasts. (laughs) Seems like our days might be numbered, doesn't it? 
But somehow, in this contradiction of feelings, an amazing quote comes to mind, one from Pulitzer Prize winner Annie Dillard. She says, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It is madness, she writes, to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Mm. Pentecost. Though often long forgotten in the modern list of important, significant religious holidays, Pentecost is the most appropriate day for us to remember the waking God who draws us out to where we can never return. Though we have tidied it up a bit and found more sensible ways to celebrate, like donning the sanctuary with red paraments or wearing them ourselves and singing songs about the Spirit, we should probably take Annie Dillard's advice and hand out those crash helmets and life preservers and signal flares Unless, of course, we are more attached to our domesticated spirit, the one that leaves us safely situated and comfortable in our pews, even on Pentecost. But when we read the story and remember what happened to those disciples who gathered still and safe in their Jerusalem room, we have to ask ourselves, does anybody believe any of it? Pentecost wasn't always what it is today. It wasn't always a birthday party for the Christian church. In fact, the tradition predates the church itself by thousands of years. And the nature of its celebration, I think it's important to remember, has changed and evolved over time. Pentecost was originally an agricultural celebration that marked the seventh week after Passover. And if there are seven days in a week, then the seventh week would be a week of weeks. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So Pentecost, which was originally the festival of weeks, which meant it was the end of harvest. It was a time for worship, rest, and renewal. And if you read the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy much, maybe that's what our church people are reading on the beach this morning. Thank you. If you are reading those books, you might notice 
that there are some liturgical rhythms that are intimately woven together with the everyday life rhythms of the Hebrew people. So just as God rests on the seventh day of creation, the people then rest on the seventh day of the week. And here in this week of weeks, this seventh week of the seven days, the land and the people, all of creation, are called to celebrate and invoke those holy rhythms of work and worship and rest and renewal. Well, after the destruction of the first temple, the traditional Pentecost feast evolved into something new, a celebration of the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai, this, of course, commemorating the new covenant, the new law to fit the new situation in which the Hebrew people found themselves. This time, the new covenant being celebrated, the new liturgical rhythm was not connected to the land and its production, for the people no longer had their land. They were now nomadic. They were a placeless people, if you will, wandering through wilderness together with God. And as their relationship with their land changed, so did their covenant with God. Over time and in the Christian tradition, the Pentecost celebration has continued to evolve, taking on a new life and highlighting a different moment in our history. And as our story goes, we heard it read just a moment ago, the disciples were in Jerusalem just after the ascension of Jesus. They were there all gathered in a room. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is clear that this is not just the 12 disciples, the ones who, you know, whose names we memorize and we remember, but this was all of the disciples, including the women and the children who were mentioned in the first chapter of Acts. And as they all gathered in that Jerusalem room outside, the streets of the city were full Not only because it was a holiday weekend, but also because there were lots of devout Jews who came to Jerusalem to live out their final days in the comfort of the holy city. Typically, Pentecost was a celebration. It was a festival for all the people of faith, but in this particular year, when the disciples gathered in that room, on that particular Pentecost, the mood must have been different. It must have been somewhat conflicted. Many were there excited for the traditional feast, but the disciples, remember, had been through quite a lot. They must have been anxious and worried about their future. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that Jesus was crucified just outside of this same town around the time of another traditional religious celebration. And we know that the trauma of that kind of experience does not quickly fade away. Surely it was still lingering in their minds as they gathered for this celebration. And remember, after the crucifixion, they saw Jesus again resurrected just as he had promised, but he did not stay with them long, or at least long enough as far as they were concerned. He left them again when he ascended into heaven and asked them 
to carry on with the work of the gospel. So given all of that, we might imagine that as the disciples got together for this first religious feast after Jesus was gone again, they might have felt a little bit apprehensive about the imminent celebration. Now, we know how the story goes because we have heard it over and over and over again, but I would like to just pause right here and reflect because I think in this moment, there may be an opportunity or maybe a lesson or maybe even a bit of good news for us. Have you ever found yourself after an experience of trauma? Have you ever found yourself after receiving some bad news or after the death of a loved one or after an unexpected job loss or maybe a diagnosis that you didn't see coming? Have you ever found yourself after something major that just interrupted your life in a scary and negative way? And have you ever felt yourself in those moments just feeling rather numb? You know, numb from the newness that was thrust into your life without warning, without invitation, without preparation. Numb from the strangeness of the words as they are coming out of your mouth, hearing them as your own story has suddenly changed. Numb from having to relive the uncomfortable news as you answer that simple question, how are you? Maybe if numb isn't exactly the word that you would use to describe your response or reaction to this kind of life interruption, then maybe you could say that you have felt defeated or exhausted. Maybe just stretched a little bit too far beyond your limits and longing for anything that felt familiar or ordinary. That is how I imagine the disciples felt when they came together in that room in Jerusalem. Now, I wasn't there, and Luke doesn't go into great detail about their emotional state of mind, but I can totally feel it when I think about what all they've been through. Can you? I can feel it because I have been in those kinds of rooms before. We have been in those kinds of rooms together, still, quiet, with energy so low it seems as if time itself is standing still. So through the lens of our own experience, we can imagine the disciples all sitting there, maybe even lining the perimeter of the room, taking in one heavy breath after another, wondering if their energy would ever return, wondering if in their scarcity, God could do anything good. But here's the thing. It was precisely into that despair it was precisely into that season of decline. It was precisely into that utter scarcity that the Spirit began to blow. 
There was no warning, no early signal giving away the surprise, just a rush of wind, the text says, a rush of wind and fire and new life blowing in and hovering over their heads like a flame. And with the fire came a new skill, all of them beginning to speak new languages. You can imagine the shock of it all when the once lifeless room is now vibrantly buzzing with words previously unknown just moments ago. And while some like to say this was the gift of tongues, the spiritual language, the text, at least in Acts, is pretty clear that the disciples are speaking known human languages because as this story goes, the people outside in the streets understand, and they understand in their native tongues. No translators needed. The story of God's love unfolding throughout history is being told in such new and diverse ways that now everyone can hear it and receive it in their own way. Wow, what a generous spirit, right? Breaking through the perceived decline, the certain end that everybody saw coming, the utter scarcity of the disciples, and in one sudden move, That generous spirit empowers them all with new gifts uniquely suited for their particular moment in time. Language. Language for the people who had gathered outside, people who had never before heard of God's love in a way that they could fully understand and receive it. A generous expression of a generous spirit using new language spoken through weary and numb disciples at precisely the moment when they feared they had nothing left to give. Friends, this is the promise of Pentecost. That even when we are broken, when we are weary, when we are depleted of every resource, when we struggle to imagine any future at all, these are precisely the kinds of moments when the Spirit of God has plenty of room to blow on through. These are precisely the moments when we ourselves are humble enough to recognize that God has not stopped working, but that God's work is simply more expansive, more inclusive, perhaps, than we had previously imagined. Wow, what a generous spirit to keep on creating life where there seemed to be no life. Of course, of course that's how the spirit works, and... Of course, as it is often the case, there were some in Jerusalem who did not understand. There were some in Jerusalem who did not approve of what was happening. We know this because the text says they could hear all of the commotion, but rather than receiving the gift, they mocked and sneered the disciples, saying, well, they've had too much wine. They've just lost their minds. But of course, the irony in all of that is that they were the ones missing out. They were the ones missing the point. They were the ones being left behind as the Spirit began breathing the wind of new life. 
New Testament scholar Justo Gonzalez contends that there is an even more important detail that we sometimes gloss over when we are reading the story of Pentecost. He says that the line which reads, are not all those who are speaking Galileans, should be read more like this. Are not all these people ignorant and backwards Galileans? And he says this because the Galileans were definitely not the typical preachers and teachers of religion. You see, they were perpetual outsiders. And here, through their own mouths, the Spirit revives the church. Through the mouths of the ignorant and backward Galileans, and I'm quoting a New Testament scholar, the Spirit revives the church. Isn't it wild how often God chooses those whom religion has deemed unworthy to inform and reform and transform the church? Maybe it doesn't feel like Pentecost today. It doesn't look like new life outside. Maybe it doesn't feel like Pentecost for us in the room today because maybe we are too worn down. Maybe we are too weary. Maybe we are too stretched beyond our limits. But even still, we have to remember that the quiet room is just the beginning of the story. And so maybe there is more ahead for us. Maybe, just maybe, we are only a few labored breaths away from transformation as we sit here in our pews. And maybe the spirit of life is coming from an unlikely source. Who knows? It remains to be determined. But the question for us is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that the Spirit still comes like a rushing wind with life and breath and holy energy that creates anew every time? Do we really believe it's possible? I mean, wouldn't it be great Wouldn't it be great for the church of Jesus Christ to be awake and alive like that again? If we want it, if we really want it, and if we really believe it is possible, and most importantly, if we really want to be a part of it, then I guess we'd better take off our Sunday best and exchange our finest clothes for some safety gear. Because when the Spirit comes, it will come without warning, and it will draw us out of here, equipping us with new skills and new gifts and new words and new songs and new ears to hear from all kinds of new people and new ministries and new dreams and new visions and new friends and new neighbors. And when we become open to those kinds of gifts from the Holy Spirit, we will be drawn out to a place where we can never return. So friends, on this Pentecost, it may feel kind of slow, in here. But you better buckle up and put on your crash helmet and look for those 
flash signals. Because if we have just a morsel of faith, we can rest assured that it is going to be one wild and holy, unforgettable ride. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and breathe new life into this place. Revive us again and breathe your spirit into our weary souls. Come, your people are ready. Amen.